This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. I'm joined in the studio by Jonathan Holloway, the Artistic Director of Melbourne Festival. Jonathan, you've uh, last week uh, announced the very first show. Good morning, on. Richard. Yes, we have. We've, uh, we've announced Tree of Codes. Uh, which is a, a, a big dance event, which will be at the end of the festival. Uh, we just have to wait a while now to hear what's going to be happening running up to that. Why do these kind of long lead announcements? Is it just a marketing ploy or is there uh, is it an opportunity to say, here's one style of event, let's focus on that for the moment uh, so that it doesn't then overwhelm the rest of the program? It can be for a variety of reasons. This time it's because um, a lot of people will travel uh, interstate and internationally, uh, but certainly interstate to see this work. So we want people to have time to to plan um, and basically sort of uh, put in that week in their diary that this is Melbourne uh, for people who love dance, music, visual arts, culture or life. Why do you think so many people will travel from interstate or perhaps even overseas from New Zealand or elsewhere to come and see Tree of Codes? Well... If they missed it in the other five places it's been, and each place it's been for a very short run, so it it opened in Manchester two years ago, and since then it's been in New York, London, Paris, and um, Aarhus, which is the European capital of culture. Uh, If you missed it in those five places, this is the final time that it will be performed uh, with the uh, Paris Opera Ballet. So... It's it's an event. It's it's more than a, a, a festival show. It's it's one of those that you build up to for a few years, and then um, and then you for people who love the artists involved. I think it's a, a must see. Well, let's talk about the artists involved. So you've got a visual artist, uh, Oliver Eliasson. You've got Jamie uh, XX from the XX. You've got the Paris Opera Ballet, who we've just mentioned, who are certainly considered one of the kind of top ballet companies in the world. Um, uh, choreographer Wayne McGregor, uh, and inspired by uh, a kind of what a kind of postmodern work from the novelist Jonathan Safran Foer. So yes, yeah, so Jonathan Safran Foer took Streets of Crocodiles by Bruno Schultz, which is a uh, obviously a, a hot favourite now from theatre makers and dance makers, um, having been the centre of a big complicity piece a couple of decades ago. He took that 1930s novella and he literally carved the book Tree of Codes out of it. He took the translated book, 134 pages, I think, and he carved out uh, most of the pages, leaving single words here and there, which you then read by putting a piece of paper between... The, sleeve, uh, the sheets, um, and you and you read the book, and it almost it's like finding a secret code within another book. So he he made that happen, um, and then obviously all the other artists have taken that as that starting point, and gone on a journey. So for for um, Oliver, he took the symmetry of the book and the visuals of the book and the idea of the shapes. For Jamie XX, he took he made an algorithm to look at the holes, the gaps, what was taken. Um, And he made the algorithm to come up with melodies and musical ideas, which he put into the musical piece. And then Wayne McGregor made a piece of dance for each of the 134 pages. And together this makes Tree of Codes, which sounds like it's going to be bitty or small or, or not cohesive. And it's that rarest of things, a collaboration in which nobody compromises. Everybody pushes through with what they want and the whole thing comes together in the most astonishing way. Now, I've heard it reviewed as uh, ballet for people who don't like ballet. Is what's your? How do you describe it to I people? I think it's ballet for people who do or don't like ballet. I mean, the, the, the ballet of it is amazing. It's, it's, 
it's definitely more than a dance piece. And it's if you if you went there and closed your eyes and just listened to Jamie XX's score, it would be one of the great concerts. It's it's loud, it's all encompassing, it, it flows through you, and his rhythms are just beautiful. Uh, likewise, if you turned everything else off and just sat in your seat and imagined you didn't have to walk around the largest exhibition of Oliver Eliasson's work. And this is the man who made the Weather Project, the big sun at Tate, um, for one of those early exhibitions, which is now the backdrop for the tour of Drake going around the world. So, I mean, he's a man who can cross over between popular art and visual art, but his imagery is huge. So if you just sat and watched that, you'd love it. And if you just went and saw a great Wayne McGregor piece... Again, you'd be thrilled. The truth is when the three come together, none of them cancel each other out. They, they, they add to each other until it's almost overwhelming. You, you do come out of the piece feeling like you've had a genuine transformational experience. And I was talking to a colleague of ours who, who, uh, who is a journalist and reviewer and will be reviewing it, who asked one of her friends to go with her to see the show and she said actually no my friend is uh, has, has said he's not going to come with me to see the show he's going on his own because this is a religious experience and he saw it in Manchester and as such he needs to experience it again but he can't experience it with a friend he needs to simply go through this alone which is quite beautiful yeah now it's had some really uh, positive responses obviously some of the reviews that are quoted on the Melbourne Festival website which uh, is www.festival.melbourne for those of you who uh, don't know it off the top of their head uh, The Independent sometimes five stars and not enough uh, The New York Times jaw-dropping with breathtaking physical feats and uh, visual dazzle Conversely, uh, people like um, uh, the one of the reviewers in uh, what is it? It's the the Observer have described it as uh, the choreo. It's the choreography of intimacy and eroticism, but the dancers have no capacity for either. And for all the dizzying hyperactivity on stage, nothing is being said. The piece is all action and no consequence. How do you respond to work like that? Clearly, you have your own aesthetic and taste, and you're confident about this show. But when people will find negative reviews like that. Does it concern you? Not at all. I mean, the good news is that that person is a dance reviewer who's been paid to see it. So if they have a bad experience, it's not on my watch. Um, I'm programming for audiences and real people. The audience... You're saying reviewers aren't real people? I'm saying reviewers are real people, but dance reviewers are very specific and they are... (laughs) Dance reviewers are in their own um, genre of work. I mean, uh, any any reviewer who reviews a single art form... uh, And, in fact, all the negative reviews have been from people who are absolute, straight, pure dance reviewers. Um, And there have been a few. It's been people who've said we wanted there to be dance but everything else needed to stop um, because it was too much and it's interesting I, I think the audiences are the best, um, best I mean a standing ovation at every single performance um, yes it's not the highest of art I reckon Shakespeare had some pretty dodgy reviews as well even even before uh, the public uh, did Julius Caesar um, I'm, I'm guessing that I mean obviously Shakespeare is now a very modern writer who's specifically writing against the American president and how dare he. But I'm guessing that even 500 years ago when he was writing that stuff, some people said uh, that uh, to be or not to be uh, lacked the genuine depth of, of mental incision. Uh, however, um, you, can't, you can't please all the people. And if you're going to lose people, I'd rather lose um, 
some dance critics who have probably lost all of them now. <laughs> I'm saying that, and I'm realizing, well, there you go. <laughs> Never got another good dance review in his life. Tree of Codes is the first show to be announced to this year's Melbourne Festival. The festival has called out for creatives and artists to get involved in a mysterious work which we cannot say much about, but it must be a bit of a challenge attracting people to a project in which you can't tell them what the project is. Yes, it is, apparently. Um, however, 731 people have, have signed up for, uh, have given a show of interest to be involved in, in, the, uh, in the unspeakable project, unmentionable project. Unspeakable is maybe a bit far. Uh, the unmentionable project. And, um, and so, no, we're, uh, we're happy with that. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those pieces of work that, uh, again, will bring together a huge number of people to tell some really epic stories and a, a, an epic experience. And I think, I think, I mean, I'm guessing that quite a lot of people have a fair idea what it might be. Uh, I, I don't think there are that many secrets in the world. Um, but it's nice that we... You know, I mean, I, I've, I've got children, so I know there's a couple of times of the year when... More of us know more than we're claiming to know about what might be about to happen. Um, I mean, around December time and maybe Easter, but we just don't mention it. And that's I like that about festivals, that you, you get to maybe suspect something. So what we, some of us have secrets which we can't speak about. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au. Performance is something that my next guest is quite familiar with. And Harrod Wynne-Jones is the Artistic Director of Arts House and responsible for programming the wide range of performances and other events that happen at Arts House. And Harrod, it would be fair to say that your program is much more than just contemporary performance. It's looking at the intersection between contemporary performance and the world. Absolutely. And and also, you know, contemporary performance is constantly reinventing itself as it goes. And so it's, you know, part installation, part food gathering, you know, conversation, you name it. It's constantly kind of spilling out from whatever, you know, classification we try to put it in. Now, for season one, you've had uh, a bit of a festival focus, I guess. So season one at Arts House, we had we had Year and Boy, we had Dance Massive. Does this mean that the second half of the year is frees you up to program a little bit more uh, for your heart as opposed to what you need to incorporate into a festival-style program? Um, yes, although I suppose I would say we are by nature heart-led at Arts House. So, you know, we've we've really enjoyed the collaborations with Boy, with Asia Topa, obviously Dance Massive. They're all, um, I think, really critical context to present extraordinary artists. But and yes, speaking you- of extraordinary mm. artists, I just have to jump in there. I've got to say one of the Arts House events for um, Asia Topa remains one, my absolute, one of my absolute top five performance highlights of the year, Bunny, oh. which was just such a gorgeous event. So I'm so glad it was programmed. Yes, we were very, very thrilled to be able to present that. So yes, I think those festival contexts can, you know, are, are, um, they're a great way of involving people, but they're also a chance to really profile extraordinary work but yes in season two we we do have um maybe some more space in the program to to um to create a context and certainly you can see that in the in the first um couple of weeks sorry the second couple of weeks in july um and this has been a program that's been curated by an extraordinary producer at arts house naomi valafi um and there's a yeah a 15 to to 20 projects over the two weeks that uh, really look at, I suppose, um, a number of themes, um, look at 
our relationship to place, to displacement, to identity, um, to connection. And, um, you know, we're really thrilled. We've got an extraordinary artist from Angola who currently lives in in, um, Brussels, uh, Nastio Mosquito, and he's going to be coming out um, as a spoken word artist and really, um, yeah, definitely one to watch. But also um, Wani Lafrere, who's a a fabulous Melbourne-based artist, also spoken word, um, investigating similar territory around um, identity and and particularly masculine identity um, in in that space. So, yeah, two extraordinary artists um, and a whole plethora of other fabulous events um, in the first um, first batch of, of season two. Now, one of the part of the focus of the season two program at Arts House this year picks up on uh, something that was done a couple of years ago when you discovered that North Melbourne Town Hall, uh, where Arts House is focused, is a designated City of Melbourne uh, emergency relief centre. And so you're expanding on that program again with around the notion of refuge. That's right, yes. I, I mean, it, Arts House has had quite a, a strong focus around environmental sustainability projects and really, I think, looking at some of the most problematic um, dysfunctions in our society. And you'd have to say that climate change pretty much um, tops the, the charts on that one. And we found that by inviting artists into this space to go, well, what would a relief centre look like um, if artists were embedded and invested invested in the processes of that alongside, you know, the critical services of the SES and the Emergency Management Victoria and the police and all the other um, organisations that, of course, need to be and are involved in in that emergency response. And we found that, um, you know, not surprisingly, the artists bring this phenomenal capacity to synthesise really complex structures and processes and interrogate both... Um, the reason why maybe this this problem exists, but also offer something that I think in the kind of pretty militarised delivery of an emergency management scenario, um, much gets overlooked in terms of how people actually feel, um, what kind of connections they're looking for, what kind of response they're after. So um, we've got a, a host of Pretty extraordinary artists, some from who who have also experienced it. So Latai Tamapea, for instance, who is currently doing a, a residency with the SES, which is phenomenal because she's a complete high vis fan. So um, she's <laughs> loving that, and as are the SES. So she'll be back um, in this year's refuge, and we're looking at a, a five day. Um, heat wave as a as a triggering event. So over the next five years, we're going to look at different kinds of um, disaster. Because previously you did flooding. We did, yes, yes, and that, and so um, this year heat wave, and then we're we're thinking about pandemic. Um, yeah, and and of course, um, you know, environmental refugees, which is is as we all know, a, a really yeah huge um, massive impact from from climate change. Not all of the program at Arts House is so focused on uh, the world around us. Sometimes it is more purely art for art's sake. Some of the dance works, for example, uh, you've got a new work coming up by Stephanie Lake Company. Yes, beautiful. Pile of Bones. We saw that in rehearsal. She's been, um, she was in residence with Lucy Guerin. Um, and yeah, an extraordinary work. And I, I mean, I've, it's interesting that I think 
I think it's a bit of an artificial division in a way, the idea that there's some work that arts for art's sake and other work that's kind of socially and politically motivated. I think, you know, artists... It's all on a spectrum. Isn't it? And, and artists' motivation, I think, you know, they're alive in the world, they're citizens of our world, they're all, you know, passionate and have things to say. And maybe it's more that the starting point for someone might be, I think, as with Stephanie, is, you know, dancers in the studio. And she's got an extraordinary group of dancers who are making material, making meaning with their bodies. And then, you know, of course, she's framing it and nuancing it um, around, you know, the, the issues and concerns that, that she has. So, and similarly, I'd say that the kind of political work that, um, you know, more overtly political work, of course those artists are also massively curious and interested in what form it takes, what the experience of the audience is. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for the, like, mix it up, you know. <laughs> Including adding some visual art into the performance mix as well. You've got an exhibition by um, Texter Queen coming yes, out. Yes, we love Texter Queen. I mean, what an amazing artist she is. And we're going to be um, filling the windows of Arts House um, so in a way, kind of turning into some kind of um, advent calendar. It does happen around the December time time frame, but she's going to be focusing on superheroes. So um, working with um, local communities and, and local um, young people uh, to, to really turn that, you know, amazing but quite um, Victorian and sometimes um, not so welcoming building at North Melbourne Town Hall into something that really hopefully engages with people and um, welcomes them in. And speaking of engaging, uh, I can't help mentioning a work that's coming up uh, that Joff is involved with. Joff is an artist who some people may have known from his work with the Suitcase Royale. He's also now done, had this whole separate other stream of kind of live art and engagement with young people and children. Uh, and so he's uh, working with an artist, Sam Halmarak, on a piece called We Are Lightning, which also I understand is going to bring in what... A, a, a band of teenagers, a community choir, a whole bunch of other artists as well for this, what I suspect will be a rather glorious celebration. I think it will be. I mean, the premise is it's potentially the last night of a music venue. So, you know, very close to Melbourneians' hearts, the closing of music venues. But this definitely will be a celebration of, um, yeah, amazing teenage bands that Joff, um, you know, knows and loves. And Sam, that and their partnership has been, you know, they've been working together. In fact, we presented Sam's work in Fowler in 2014 and um, they've known of each other and been working together. And they're both phenomenal, I think, musicians, singer-songwriters in their own right, but also have this deep desire and connection to celebrate you know musicality um in all its forms from from across the community so that's yeah definitely going to be um a fabulous way to close out the year and to wind the clock back a couple of months it wouldn't be arts house and north melbourne town hall without a mention and acknowledgement of melbourne fringe which takes over the space uh, all the spaces in fact at and around arts house in september yes and we, you know, we love partnering with Melbourne Fringe. It is an exciting time of the year when it's just bursting, as you say, bursting at the seams with extraordinary independent artists. Um, we do often uh, signature projects with um, with Fringe, and so the last last year we did um, the the podcast with arts um, kids versus art, rather. And this one we're continuing with that focus um, around young people, and it's the children's party. So the premise is that. Um, a group of young people will be forming a political party, the Children's Party, and asking, you know, exactly where um, their dollars and their votes should go and what the, you know, policy platforms are. And um, we'll, we're going to be hosting um, one of the party political platforms of the Children's Party. Um, that's a project with um, Ben Landau and Alex Walker, which is 
fantastic. And Harrod, we've seen such a, a shift in art making over the last 10 years in which the agency of children has become quite critical and central to the making of art as opposed to organisations thinking of young people just as a potential audience, either the audience of now or the audience of the future. Why has this shift occurred, do you think? Why is there so much more awareness of and focus of the agency of children as art makers themselves? Yeah, I mean, what you know, I think the positive thing would be that that's we are becoming more conscious of, you know, the the human rights of all of all folk, and that of course includes children. So I think it's it's kind of inevitable that once you start moving away from that kind of transactional relationship um, that cultural institutions have been sort of forced into around seeing you know children and families as a target group to market material to, to actually thinking about you know, what their voices are, um, the messages that they have and, and you know, the, the very deep and difficult problems that, that face that next generation. And I think there is a sense um, that we have a responsibility to stand by those young people in their discovery of, of the world around them and really support them to to find their voices, to find their power. Um, and, I yeah, I, I, I feel like it's a, it's a really exciting but quite essential part of being in this complex world right now. If you want to see creative responses to the complex world we live in, Arts House Season 2 for 2017. The brochure is purple. You can pick it up around town uh, in all those familiar places that you'll find brochures and programs. Or you can jump online, artshouse.com.au, to find out more information about Season 2 at Arts House in North Melbourne. And Harrod Winchop, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Richard. And can I just say that we've got a new website. So for those people that were used to going to, you know, wondering whether they're getting a dog licence or a performance art event, please jump online because we're very proud of our new audience-friendly website. Do check it out. Thanks for coming in. This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Next guest joins us on the microphone. I have to do my traditional disclaimer. I'm about to talk about a show at the Malthouse Theatre. I am on the Committee of Management at La Mama Theatre. I'm a volunteer. I do not benefit financially from cross-promoting and spruiking La Mama shows. And goddammit, La Mama is turning 50 soon and it deserves all the spruiking it can get. Right. That's that done and out of the way. Uh, my next guest is Tamblin Lord, who joins us to talk about Call of the Ice. Tamblin, welcome to Triple R. Thanks, Richard. This is a show made about a passion of yours, I understand. Yes, it certainly is, about uh, exploring the wilderness outside and within as well. So it's um, a 35-year-long life journey that's um, come to fruition is now being manifested on stage. So your childhood hero was the explorer Sir Douglas Mawson. Yeah. A slightly unusual choice of hero for a kid. <laughs> well, he survived to tell the tale, so that's probably part of the reason why I've enjoyed the adventure and the challenges and the the great um, cha- the story of his survival in in Antarctica a hundred years ago. And as I've got older, I've come to appreciate just how much more challenging the conditions would have been for pioneering explorers back then, with the lack of gear and technology and even knowing where they, where they were going. And I've always had a mystery and a bit of a wanderlust as an adult, so going out and walking and hiking and exploring the world and, and or the nature, what nature has to offer, and somehow the, the, the creative side of me and also the, the inquisitive side of the adventure has come together to forge this um, retelling of or portraying of my childhood hero, but 
also from the perspective of having gone down there to to be to follow his path to Antarctica as well. So that was in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's wind the clock back. Can you remember precisely the moment that you discovered Mawson? Is there that one kind of vivid memory that's burnt into your brain or is it kind of so far back in the past that it's become a more kind of diffuse and general childhood love rather than an, an exact moment? There's probably not an exact moment. There's fragments or there's sections of moments that have come together. There's, sh- there's shards of it. So... There's certainly one moment I remember in, a, in the school library there was a like a picture book that of, a, of adventure heroes or something and Mawson was one of them and it showed him just like an illustration in the ice and the, the, the snow and the blue all around him and the balaclava and that sort of intrigued me and then as I got a little bit older I started looking into reading excerpts of his diary and and then some of the old photos of him and that era just really fascinated me so it was putting together little pieces of those rather than it being a clear defining moment um, that came more in the last few years that it was going to actually become something artistic and creative okay for people who don't know sir douglas mawson he was born in the uk but is recognized as an australian uh, geologist explorer um, and indeed australia's antarctic base uh, is named after him mawson base i think yeah one of the three is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um so He's clearly, for you, a fascinating figure, but then how do you turn that fascination into a piece of theatre? Well, the story itself is is great theatre because it's all about him and his two colleagues going through exploring unknown territory in Antarctica and um, two of the colleagues perishing, perishing and then him and one of them having to eat the dogs, going mad from eating the dogs and then him falling in a crevasse. So that story was was fantastic material to be able to use. But then to make it more personal, I wanted to incorporate the experience that I had in following Mawson down to Antarctica in 2016, as well as blend the eras. So Mawson kept a diary of his journey and I've kept a video diary of my journey and I'm showing that as video excerpts in the in the piece, interweaving those two and then being able to try to emulate my hero without mimic him or just relate his story in a contemporary context to my life. So I'm trying to get that crossover, not just the fascination but the the relation between what happened for him in Antarctica and, and what happened for me as well. Even though they're poles apart... Pardon the pun there, but uh, yeah, it's it's a quite a, and then I guess the creative side of me um, has helped drive the the quest to bring it onto stage because I I wanted to be able to say something about Mawson, but also wanted to be able to express myself because. Um, venturing into a one-man show is not something you take lightly. Not at all. Now, you initially did uh, began to explore these ideas in an earlier iteration of the work, which was presented as part of the exploration season at La Mama a couple yep. of years ago. And for people who don't know it, explorations is an opportunity for, for, for works in progress and ideas to be fleshed out over three nights rather than a full season, for example. How valuable was that creative development? Uh, invaluable, totally. It was amazing because that gave me the opportunity to really explore the Mawson side of the story because I hadn't been to Antarctica then. That was in November 2015, um, yeah, 2015. So I got to explore just the Mawson story and put that on stage publicly for three nights, get feedback on that, and that gave me the courage and confidence to be able to go on and go to Antarctica 
I didn't quite know what I was going to do with the story of me going to Antarctica before I went. I had an idea of what I wanted to do de- or how to capture it, but I didn't understand exactly what I was going to do with the script. So being able to flesh out and try things before you put it you know, in an open context for a season was, was fantastic. And there's still definitely a strong sense of the Mawson story that I learnt or that I explored within the explorations that's on stage now blended with, with mine now as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, platform for, for fledging, artists, fledging artists to get their, their stuff up. Now, if you want to get involved with the exploration season at La Mama, uh, applications for uh, Explorations 2017 have closed. But shows always drop out from time to time. So mm-hmm. maybe if you emailed caitlin at lamama.com.au, uh, if, uh, she can keep you in mind, perhaps, for this <laughs> year's exploration season. She'll probably hate me saying that. She'll never get deluged <laughs> with emails. But, Tamblin, to come back to Call of the Eye. So, okay, 2015, you explore and experiment with this initial theatrical representation. And then in 2016, you go to Antarctica. Tell us about how you organised the trip and what it was like to get down there. This was it. Did it feel like the culmination of, the, of, of a lifelong quest? Oh, absolutely. There was a, there was the sense of that and it... It came out of me actually finding that there was a an artistic um, an artistic support that you could apply for with the Antarctic Austra- Australian Antarctic Division, and it was like a um, fellowship, an artistic fellowship. And I applied for that, but I didn't get it. But I, while I was waiting to hear, I saw that there was this chartered commercial vessel that was going down to Antarctica, following in the wake of Mawson, and it kind of was exactly what. I wanted to do, even though it left from Tasmania and was like a three-week trip instead of two days from South America, which is the normal route to the peninsula. And then I scored a TVC ad that basically paid the fee of what the commercial adventure was going to be. It was meant to be. It was like manna from heaven. I was like, okay, now I've got to do this, but also now I've got to actually put on a show because while I was applying for the fellowship, I had to say what my idea for the show was and get people to referee and support me. So I couldn't then just back out so it was like okay I'm locked in now and and then it was just the thing is to take it one day or one moment at a time and not try to forecast too far ahead especially when you're on a boat and there's there's no land it's all just sea horizon to horizon of sea you have to be in the moment otherwise you go a little bit stir crazy and cabin fever sets in and and also the the interaction with the other passengers as well and I've tried to incorporate some honesty within that experience on the not so much focusing on any of the other um, passengers but just my reaction to being cooped up with them for that amount of time because it was a three and a half week round trip. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. And so the show that's culminated, Call of the Ice, is both about your fascination with Mawson, about Mawson himself and this contemporary trip that you did. Yeah, and it's also a celebration of the beauty of the wilderness of Antarctica. There's a lot of photography or photographs that I used in the videos in the in the show and also allowing the wilderness of Antarctica to speak for itself with some of the slides, which um, hopefully comes across well enough in the space. And, and so it's not... a it's more to share this experience and, and in a way, be an advocate for maintaining the, the, the beauty and, and, and wilderness that is so pristine down there. And that's the emotional response that fascinated me as well because Mawson talks a lot about 
his emotional response, the beauty of Antarctica and its calling that drew him back even though he almost died there and it's so harsh and, and very, very tough conditions. But there's something that drew him back and having been down there, I can get an appreciation for what that is and hopefully I'm able to express that through the show. Now, no show is presented even if a solo show is never presented solo. There's always other artistic input. So um, you've got uh, uh, Richard Varbrae's doing the lighting design. So I, I already know that it's going to be exquisite because Richard's yeah, work beautiful. is beautiful. Um, uh, uh, who's uh, created your set? Gav Barbie. And he. I worked with Gav years ago in Sydney and he's also a, quite an um, established artist working with... Um, paints of of animals and trees and um he's hasn't done much designing recently um he's sort of been on a um a recyclable plastic kick with the uh corporate world at the moment but um trying to make them to find some art within recycling and uh he's actually it's very much created a, a paper environment to represent the ice on on the set and with richard's lights reflecting the blue and the greens and the whites that you get in Antarctica. Um, the two of them have created a, a wonderful space for me to just feel really free and, and, and to let loose. It's, 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 it's unreal. <laughs> and you've written and performed the work, which uh, kicked off last night at the La Mama Courthouse. You don't have a director credited, but you've got a couple of outside eyes. So Yeah, what? well, it's independent theatre, so it's hard for me to actually lock down anybody to say, OK, be with me for the three weeks of rehearsal and and let's, you know, I can't pay you, we'll do profit shares. So Chris Brown has helped me with giving me an outside eye, coming in when he can and giving pointers and, and helping me get a different perspective. And then also with, with Michael, he's helped me with some of the producing side of things to, to get word of mouth out there and get an audience in. So, yeah, it's it's a solo show but you, can, you need a team around you definitely but at the same time you can't, expect everything of those guys when they you're not paying them and they have their own lives and families and everything to 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 contend with as well so i'm grateful for the time they've given me the joy of independent theater it uh, amazes me that any independent work gets up sometimes that i'm always glad that they do call of the ice is a one-man show written and performed by tamblin lord it's on at the la mama courthouse theater tamblin lord thank you very much for joining us here at triple r thank you richard it's been a pleasure this has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.